Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Thanks for joining me, Doug. Pleasure to be here, Kyle. I know this is uh, not your typical MO to be in the, in the limelight here, but thanks for joining us today. No problem at all. It's a great place to spend a Taco Tuesday up here in Del Mar. Yep. So I brought Doug in today. We're going to be talking about his experience, uh, a little bit about his background, uh, what transpired over the last 12 months and where he's at today. Uh, so I thought maybe we'd just start with a little bit about who is Doug Pate. All right. So born and raised in Coronado, third generation Coronadoan. Parents, uh, first husband and wife, Superior Court judges, which is something of, of interest. So grew up in a strict household, you could say. Stern but fair, as my mom would always say. With three older brothers, I'm the youngest. So I got away with a lot, I would say, watching my, <laughs> my older brothers. And I learned how to kind of sit back in the background, if you will. And then still live there now. So married to my wife, Nikki, 2009. Just had an anniversary yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you. And then uh, three kids, Taylor's 10, Livy is nine, and Knox is five. And so they're all back in school right now, playing sports, got soccer practice later today, where I'm coaching their teams, of course, now with my extra free time here. Yeah, anything. anything. No shortage of coaching, I'm sure, with those ages. Yeah. I, I did all of that. And so tell us, um, thanks for that introduction. And you ran a company called International Surf Ventures. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that business, how it started, uh, when you started, what made you successful. Give us a little background there. Yeah, absolutely. So I started the business and we started working on it in 2003. We didn't officially form it until 2004, 2004, excuse me, with my older brother's, one of his best friends, Mark Miller, uh, that I got to know just hanging out in the house and around town, surfing and mostly goofing off. He, uh, yeah. He's a bit of a character. Uh, so I came back, graduated LMU in 2001 okay. and worked in the investment field for about a year. Decided it's probably not what I wanted to do the rest of my life. So took three months off to Costa Rica. And when I came back, was just chatting with Mark. He was kind of filling me in on what he was up to. And he had spent some extra time in Santa Barbara where he's on the surf team, where he realized there is a need for surfboards in places other than on the coast. So what he did was go collect all his buddy's boards from the garage, the attic, under the house, broken ones, nice ones, whatever, and was selling them on eBay. And it was working. So we were just chatting about that he went through every surfboard in, in Santa Monica, moved on to what was known as the Realm, being sold out of Costco, and he would go in there, and all the little dinged up ones, that, yeah. that little Johnny came in there and felt and dinged it, he would then buy those, and once that ran its course, uh, that was kind of when I got involved, and we started looking at a manufacturer and designing boards and talking to our kind of network here in San Diego of shapers and, and designers and just kind of building out the surfboards and we did ultimately end up finding a manufacturer overseas and just uh, threw some spaghetti on the wall and imported some in and uh, took it slow. He was in the mortgage business. I was uh, just trying to, I was working on this more more full-time than, than he was. And that was 2004 and from there we just grassroots built it up until Mark was able to join, join me full-time in National City and 
uh, we were off to the races. How did you primarily sell or remove the boards? Yeah, so eBay was the <coughs> very earliest that Mark was kind of pioneering there. And once that got a little saturated uh, with, with competitors and just lower end crappy product, we built out our own site and started doing direct to consumer really before direct-to-consumer was even a buzzword as it is now. So that became our primary channel, it was just our site. And then and we focused on that for the rest of uh, the 17 years that we were running the business. We purely direct-to-consumer, no wholesale, no retailers, any of that. So we kind of just really felt like it was gonna, gonna have a lot of runway as far as a, a channel, which it, it has, it's grown tremendously. So, yeah. Great story. What caused you to get out? Ooh, that's a that's a great question. So obviously, you know, it was our first business, Mark yeah. and I, and we relied on it for our livelihood. And as we got older and got married and bought a house and and everything else, you know, the business was our identity. It was yeah. everything. We were relying on relying on it for everything uh, financially and and everything else which really drove us, right? I mean, when, when you gotta make it work, you tend to work a little harder to make it work, yeah. which, which we did. And uh, the flip side of that is it can become a grind like anything else, right? So after 17 years of doing the same thing, selling surfboards, we enjoyed the ride, don't get me wrong. We had fun time working with really cool people uh, day in and day out and by no means did we uh, overwork ourselves we were still having still having fun <laughs> that's good uh, but that being said my partner mark just felt like there was a little bit more to life out there and uh before his back or anything else went out he wanted to to live his life surfing and doing other things so he bought a catamaran in 2018 gave it a test ride out there off of caledonia in new zealand and uh liked it so came back after six months and he's like doug I'm heading back out, so <laughs> what are we gonna do here? And I said, well, I'm gonna uh, run the ship for a little bit longer, and I ended up purchasing 50% of his shares at that time, which didn't transpire until 2019. So I knew I was buckled in on my own for a little bit, and I wasn't gonna probably wanna do that forever, but you know, the business was healthy, um, good foundation, good people, kind of was becoming a lifestyle type company for myself. And I was looking at how I was going to exit, hiring a president yep. and building out the executive team. And then COVID hit, which was a huge pivotal turning moment for us. When it first came out, we had no idea yeah. how it was going to affect business. So we reacted how we normally would, which would be to constrain ourselves and, and make sure that we were fundamentally not overextending ourselves and buckle down the hatches, if you will. And then exactly the opposite happened. Everyone was locked up at home. They needed something to do. They're close by, you know, there's no more traveling. There's no more eating out. Everyone was, I would say a little bit bored, which had a very positive impact on our business because we're, we're there supplying a product that you can go any body of water yep. and go have fun. So our business really started to do well, which then brought itself an opportunity for me to maybe look at, at selling the business. And that's what I was pursuing at that time, uh, starting in late, 2020 is when we started talking to investment bankers and going through that whole process. So, and then I don't know if you want to get into it now, but. So what'd you do on the preparation side for the sale? So you went to the investment bankers. What did they, what did they ask of you to do 
business-wise to get ready for that sale? Yeah, so the, the conversations with, with those guys are, is your company sellable, right? And that's, yep. that's the focus of it. They actually don't care if you <laughs> pay it all to Uncle Sam or not. They want to just, is this company sellable? And can they make money selling you? And the answer was yes. At the same time, I had an opportunity and an introduction into a private company that was looking to acquire other companies. And at that point, I was able to work directly with that company and not go through the whole process of oh, uh, going to market and, and having to go that route, which was, which was great. It also just sped things up tremendously. So before, within a month, we were already looking at term sheets and negotiating those. And from there on, it was just off to the races. So it happened so fast that we were kind of unable to do a lot of the due diligence that we probably should have done before our sale. Um, but so it just happened. COVID hit, and next thing you know, you were you had found yourself in a situation where you had a was it a strategic acquisition? Yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden, you had this LOI, and had you talked to anybody about tax planning or exit planning from a personal side before that? Yes, with the advice that hey, you're you're in the eighth, ninth inning here, and uh, it's a little too late in the game to do anything too dramatic, and uh, which I kind of had realized, and we were yeah. ready to pay the piper and <laughs> yeah, and 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 go on down the road, but yeah, it just un unfolded so quickly that it was. Uh, well, how'd you find us? Found you guys through Jennifer Barnes, a mutual friend. Yep. She runs Optima here in town, which is kind of back in accounting and uh, HR and CFO type work, yep. um, which we had worked with her for, Mark actually worked with her in the mortgage business way back in the day. So I had a good relationship with her, trust yep. her, and she recommended you guys and had our first conversation kind of in the middle of talking to a few other, from groups to individuals. But yeah, so that was how we were introduced. So you got introduced to us, we had a meeting. And then we got, uh, we signed an engagement where you engaged with us to do some planning. What was your expectation of that engagement? What were you, what, what did you want to get out of that engagement? Yeah, so obviously with any financial advisors that we were potentially looking to work with, it's what, what's their methodology? What are they looking to get out of it? Do we trust them? It's probably yeah. the biggest, <laughs> biggest thing, <laughs> right? You work 17 years to, to make some yeah. money last thing you want to do is uh, lose it. Yeah. So that was priority number one. Uh, but with you guys, you guys had a really clear, laid out process of how you guys go about understanding an individual's financial uh, situation and, and learning what it is that, that I wanted to accomplish along with my wife for my individually and with the children and, and everything else. And just going through the whole process to get to setting up the goals and then really taking the time to understand how we're going to get there and why we're going to take these certain steps to get there and the benefits of doing A versus B and, and everything else. And you guys obviously took the time to sit down and, and do that. That was uh, you know several phone calls a week for weeks on in there, which was great. I mean, that, that's the right way to do it. And that's, uh, you know, so as we got involved, it became clear that we were engaging with the right, right firm that was going to ultimately put us in a position that we wanted to be put in. Well, Doug, I have to say as a client, your involvement in that process was great because you were attentive 
you understood what we were talking about, you asked very insightful questions, like being engaged in that process creates a better result. So I thank you for what you were doing in that process, doing your homework and listening and saying, hey, what about this, what about that? And in that process, I think the number one priority uh, was the income tax planning, right? I mean, that's ultimately what we set out to do out of the gate. Yeah, so I think going through a transaction like that, the first step is how do we retain yeah, yeah. the majority of that, of that cash, right? So that was kind of the primary focus and you guys brought to the table a lot of interesting concepts and we implemented a few of them with the, with the CLAT, obviously yeah. we did. We actually ended up doing two CLATs with the, with the PEAT right off on the federal side. Uh, that was huge and that was something we worked closely with our CPA with and getting that all done but yeah so the immediate kind of focus was definitely the tax planning side of side of the transaction so so you so in a business exit a lot of times we call it kind of almost like a project-based plan because the transaction is really what we're doing the planning around right so you have this exit event uh, you have capital gains you got ordinary income you got depreciation, recapture, you got different flavors of tax. And so in your case, I think the original engagement was really kind of project oriented around that transaction. How did you find Dana Boris? Dana Boris was the CPA that we worked with. Uh, yeah. So that you had made a transition to last year, I believe, right? Or was it the year before? No, it was actually kind of in the middle of the trans transaction. Yeah. So Nick Cato was referred to us um, actually from Procopio, who we used yeah. for the transaction to kind of come in and help you know, do some financial analysis for us. And he recommended Dana. So uh -huh. we, we were looking for a new uh, CPA at the time and Dana was recommended. So Dana was a new piece uh, to the team for myself and for you guys. And that's another testament to you guys. It wasn't, hey, you have to use this CPA or, sure. or whoever. Always willing to work with whoever it is that, that's on the team. And, uh, and she melded in well with you guys and we pushed the ball forward on, uh, yeah. on all that. Shout out to Dana on that one. She did, she did great and she turned around a lot of number crunching that you dug in and uh, I think collectively as a team, yeah. we got to the right answers for sure. Yeah, and we got two days to file our taxes. We got two more days. <laughs> so. Pushing in the con, your tax situation really applied to 2021 and 2022 because of the way your deal was structured. Right. How did the, and, and it, from a taxation standpoint, you know, you were well in the seven digits in taxes. You're in a 50% bracket on the ordinary income stuff between federal and California. Mm -hmm. So you were getting carved up pretty good. What did the end result end up looking like for you? Like, how did that, make you feel in terms of the out, the outcomes that we were able to achieve? Yeah, so I think, not to throw any specific numbers out there, but yep. you know, we were saving in the seven figures on, on taxes by doing the CLATs, which was one motivation to do it. The other motivation with the CLAT is we get to dictate where our charity money goes, which yep. was something super important to myself and my wife, Nikki, which is gonna be awesome and that 20 year span when, when we go out there to, to write the CLAT check, to be able to pick the charity and be involved with them and, and it, 
is something that really motivated us. So not just a pure tax play by any sure. means, but you know, it is nice if you can save a little <laughs> bit there. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was obviously huge, yeah. That's awesome. So let's, um, so again, from the project standpoint, that was the project piece from the planning standpoint. Uh, we kind of wrapped that up the first part of this year. And now uh, you got out of the business entirely. And so what does, are you retired? Are you semi-retired? What's going on with Doug, Pate, and Nikki? I just tell people I'm unemployed. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit easier. Uh, don't have to explain anything else. Just unemployed, which is true. No one's paying me to do anything at the moment. But luckily, <laughs> we have some money working, right? So we, we, have, we have some income coming in that way, which is ideal. But um, yeah, but in all seriousness, so January 1st, you know, was, was when I was cut loose, if you will, which was after 17 years um, with the business on your mind, just a huge transition for myself. Was that hard to do? Was that hard to let go? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I stay in touch with a lot of guys on, on the team and I follow along and see what's going on in the world. Um, and it's obviously a tricky time in the, in the world right now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Looking at the markets and inflations and wars and uh, it's, it's a little scary out there. But, you know, mentally, I wanted to take a year just to kind of not rush yeah. into anything and make sure whatever it is I am going to do next, there's some sort of reason behind it. Even if that reason is to make more money, I just want to be clear on what the goal of uh, whatever it is I do next. Hopefully I can figure out something with a little bit more meaning than just, just to make some money. But uh, I recall you had a, you, you commented to me at one point, you said, I'm in the widget business and I'm tired of creating stuff. <laughs> and you felt- well, you gotta look at you know, the environmental impact of everything that we do. I think that's something we all need to consider, right? Even yeah. when we look to start a new business, whether we think we have the coolest, best product that's gonna change everyone's lives, well, you know, what's the impact of that product and is it really necessary? And I guess just uh, practicing what we preach, right? Yeah. Which we've created a consumerism type world that we live in, which is more and more and more and more. Yeah. You know, is it necessary? And at some point, we can't keep going down this road. <laughs> I don't know. If, for those of you that were in San Diego over this weekend, we had some crazy, crazy weather, which just kind of goes to show that things are changing. That creates some good surfing, though, doesn't it? Yes, it did. Yes, <laughs> that, that was fun. But the flip side is, it was only one day of fun because all the rain runoff and, and pollution. Oh uh, yeah. Now you got to stay out of the water for the next three days. Sure. So, uh, but so let's let's go back to January one. January yeah. one, you get cut loose, and now. You have this nest egg of money. You had a little bit of a roll up. And we had some discussions at the end of last year about asset management. Do you recall those conversations and, and what your primary concerns were? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the time we're talking January 1, and we sold in August. So looking at the market and where to, to deploy any of these funds, it was uh, a time that I think we both felt was a little bit overvalued on the stock market side. And <clears throat> last thing we wanted to do, uh, what we touched on before, is to lose any of the money, right? Yep. <laughs> so it's very easy to get in the mindset of how do we double, triple, quadruple the money. But our, at least my priority, and, and you guys were in the same line of thought, is how do we conserve the money? And then how do we 
how do we grow it in a very smart, risk-adverse way, at least now, right? I mean, the sure. market had a 12-year run, and then the last two of those two years was even a crazier hockey stick, and it was just, it doesn't take a rocket science to, <laughs> to understand what goes up must come down at some point. So yeah, our focus was, how do we deploy this money, and, and how do we do it in a very risk-adverse, but get some sort of return? Can you talk about the approach that we took and the process? What what connected with you in that process? So, so you because you made the point. Hey, I gotta trust you. At some point, you clearly trusted us enough to say, yeah, I like what you're talking about. What what in that process stood out in terms of delivering recommendations and the game plan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of financial advisors, you know, would take Warren Buffett's approach and just hey, put in the S and P 500 sure. and wait. 40 years and it's all good. Don't try to time the market, don't do that or that. The market was just too high, in, in, in my opinion. So structure notes is one avenue that we took that I was unfamiliar with previously. And you guys took the time to really explain them. Not gonna say that I totally understand them, but <laughs> that being said, <laughs> the return's there. <laughs> sure. We were just looking at it yesterday and I think we're, we're averaging 9.25%. Uh, like between all the blended structured notes when the market you know at various points have been down 20 percent 30 percent 15 percent so i think the proof is in the pudding on that one but the structured notes were an avenue to to limit downside risk get a little bit of the upside risk and that's something that made sense and and we put into play and it's played out very very well over the past year um <clears throat> looking at things like mg properties, looking at the real estate play. Yep. Uh, they've been, you know, they're a longtime partner of you, of you guys. They're here locally in San Diego, which is great to work with a, another, another local firm. And those returns have been, been solid and kind of gives us a little bit of a different asset class to play in. So what I think I hear you saying is, hey, we didn't just come to you with stocks and bonds and say, hey, Doug, let's put this thing all to work. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it could have been the cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. Okay, how do we diversify this this pie, and we'll do, you know, sure. some global ETFs and the, just the standard run of the mill type solution, which was not really what I was looking for. I could probably do that on my own on some level. So I was looking at it, obviously, and then getting into the state planning side of things, where insurance kind of comes in on that. So we did. Let's a lot touch of base on the <laughs> legacy planning okay. in a minute. Back to the um, what's financial freedom mean to you? Ooh, that's a good, good question. <laughs> what, what is enough, right? And that, that's something uh, I think we all have to answer. But for me personally, I think this is enough. So it's, it's just allowing it to grow for the point of having it go through some generations that hopefully don't mess up some generations. But we can put in some parameters, I think, to yeah, control yeah, yeah. to control the odds of that happening. But yeah, financial freedom, obviously, I think it, it, it's when it allows when the money will allow you to do what it is you really want to be doing, right? Which I'm still trying to figure out, but I got my one year to do it, so I got three more months to figure out. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, having the money work 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 for you is, I think, everyone's goal. I mean, sure. that have an income without you actually hitting the nail on the head with the hammer day in and day out is something most people would strive for. Um, but so we were talking yesterday, just a little bit of preparation for uh, this conversation and what to expect. And I think I caught you off guard and you said, uh, 
man, I, I haven't really looked at it. I took the summer off. You know, the, the NASDAQ was down 30% at one point, the S&P was down 20. And you were able to take the summer off, quote unquote, and not look at it. How's that make you feel? And yeah, yeah. And again, that's a testament of A, trust, and then understanding all the moves that we made from really August through, uh, call it May, and seeing it all at work and doing what it's supposed to do and then me actually understanding it. And then when summer comes along, just to get out of the weeds a little bit from taxes and sure. talking about transactions and just everything. And to be able to just take the kids on a month long RV trip and, and not be looking at it day to day. And you know, and that's kind of the point of a, a, a draw for myself, at least, to use a professional wealth management firm like yourself is, is take my emotions out of it, sure. right? Like, I know it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. I can just uh, hang out with the kids and, and uh, have some fun, which was uh, a nice thing I, to do. Again, I think it goes back to the testament of your involvement in that process, though, Doug, because you did ask the right questions. You did articulate, hey, these are priorities for me. You did articulate the feelings that you would have had if you put it all in the market. We had long discussions about Hey, this is the this is we're playing the long game here. It's not a short-term game. Yeah, investing. You know, there, there's significant amount of cash here that needs deployed over several years, probably, in different asset classes to really accomplish what you want. Yeah, and it was your ability to to dial into that, have interest in that, ask those good questions that made that all possible. Frankly, so yeah, well, you guys made it easy. <laughs> but yeah, you did just touch on something as well, that idea that <clears throat> we did have a three to five year plan, right? We knew yeah. where we wanted to get to. We knew we were going to get it, get there yeah. in a year. So having cash um, is fine, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> they used to say cash is king. So uh, but yeah, having that long-term kind of understanding where we're going in the next three to five years was a huge part of the whole process for me. Sure. So we touched upon... <clears throat> kind of the project planning from an income standpoint and, and then the lifestyle planning and then you just mentioned a little bit about the legacy planning and my question to you would be what what you know we put together what I would say is a pretty elegant plan it's not it doesn't have tons of complication to it what does legacy planning mean for you and Let's just go with that. How's, what does it mean to you? Yeah, and it was something I had not previously thought about. It's not something you normally think about when you're yeah. working day in and day out. Um, and then when a trans like, transition like this happens, it kind of opens up that new kind of thought process, right? Of like, okay, what do we do for the kids? What do yeah. we do for their kids? What happens if, you know, God forbid, they get hit by the Del Mar train right here? Those kind of things rise to the surface and you have to address them. So it was all, again, it was all new learning curve from setting up the trust and the different kinds of trust. You know, you worked us, you walked us through that. You had a great trust attorney that helped us do all of that. Yeah. And really looking at thinking ahead on estate taxes, something you wouldn't really think about today. You'd think, oh, that's in 50 years and whatever happens, happens. But, you know, there's obviously things you can do today to, to mitigate that, which we put, in, put into play. 
and then thinking longer term not just you know our children but what about sure. their children and 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 all the way down several generations so same thing it was just starting from point a just talking about it and then slowly working through the process of, of the different options that we could employ and why we may employ this one versus this one and and just working through it like like you guys did previously with the planning you feel like that plan has optionality in it yeah and that's the good thing right it's hard to tell today how you're going to be feeling in 30 40 50 years for whatever reason health you know there's a multitude of things that can change between sure. now and then mm -hmm. so yes yeah, so having the optionality of changing courses if we need to a lot of those products aren't set in stone i mean we can we can lower them we can expand on them uh, we can get out of certain ones so yes i think that was a huge huge key and that was part of the planning process to understand our options yeah well thanks for sharing that doug i think we're getting close to the end here you know i think from a professional team standpoint you know i can't i can't do everything on my own and you can't do everything on your own yeah and so i think from a coordination standpoint well maybe you just touch real quick on the coordination between the different the estate planning attorney and dana and, and the team and any thoughts there yeah yeah i mean obviously you guys have built a very well respected and and, and solid firm with all the right players and departments and teams um, tigran has been he's a financial genius out there in colorado <laughs> he's uh not mountain biking right now uh, but tigran you know running quarterback and and kind of organizing everything from setting up the meetings with with trust attorneys or getting stuff from from dana the cpa um, and of course you're always involved in everything as well which is huge it's not a here you get passed off to <laughs> you know the the second year grad out of uh out of school so you guys have you know built all the different spokes on the wheel and uh which obviously works extremely well and it's very smooth and fluid and good communication um does it take the laboring ore off of you yes yes that's what matters I think. <laughs> so I, I just ended here doug thanks for joining me today Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.